0: Hello, Clear Skies Ahead listeners. This is Kelly Savoy, and I'm hoping you can take a moment of your time to rate and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. We have produced over 60 episodes, and you can help us reach even more individuals that will benefit from the diverse experiences shared by our guests. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this new episode. Welcome to the American Meteorological Society's podcast series, Clear Skies Ahead, conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond. I'm Kelly Savoy, and I'm here with Matt Moll, and we'll be your hosts. We're excited to give you the opportunity to step into the shoes of an expert working in weather, water, and climate sciences.
1: We're happy to introduce today's guest, Maureen McCann, weekday morning meteorologist at Spectrum News 13 in Orlando, Florida. Welcome, Maureen, and thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Maureen, could you tell us a little bit about what sparked your interest in science and how it influenced your educational path?
2: So science was always one of my favorite subjects in school. I look back on high school and my favorite classes, my favorite teachers were always my science classes, my science teachers, um, particularly the earth sciences, because I was always so interested in meteorology. But I also... Like to credit, growing up in the Boston area, having the Museum of Science there, I may be biased, but I think we have the best science museum in the country, and I always used to love going there. But my interest in weather really stems from birth. I think a lot of meteorologists would tell you the same thing. We're kind of hardwired. We've always had an interest in weather. And for many of us, there was a a key moment or a big event that sparked that interest. And while I always was interested in weather, I think back to Hurricane Gloria in 1985. I was four years old, and it was a pretty big event for someone at that age. I'd never experienced wind like that, and our tree came down in our front yard. So for a kid, that was a pretty big deal. But I also was kind of scared of loud wind and thunderstorms. So I would turn to our TV meteorologists to know when the weather was going to be bad. And particularly during Hurricane Gloria, I remember kind of hanging on every word, knowing that they would give me the information so that I wouldn't be scared anymore. And that was always the case with like summer thunderstorms too when I was a kid. But that also ties into what made me want to be a broadcast meteorologist was growing up in the Boston area, we watched the news during dinner every night. Six o'clock, news was on, no exception. My friends could watch whatever they wanted while they were having dinner or during the afternoons, but it was a ritual. In fact, it is still a ritual with my parents. They will be watching the news tonight. They have their specific viewing patterns of the local stations in the Boston area. So I was always fascinated with the weather with Bruce Schwegler, And Bruce recently passed. He had such a big impact on me and such a big impact on just broadcast meteorology in general. Um, I wasn't a shy kid, so I used to pick up the phone and, and call him, and I would write him letters, because you'd always see him on TV talking about visiting schools. And I would always think, why doesn't he come to visit my school? He never did, but I remember once he did visit another school in Arlington, and I was able to get pulled out of class to go to that <laughs> That's elementary <so> awesome. <laughs> school <laughs> because like the teachers knew that she needs to be there for this. So he was your rock I, star. <laughs> he was. I. I mean, my mom always jokes about how you know other kids are watching MTV. I was watching the weather channel. I was, you know, always focused on that forecast, but. I I wasn't shy. I reached out to Bruce. And this is before email. This is before social media. I used to write him letters. But somehow we made a connection that I was going to go in for a tour. My dad brought me in one night, I think I was about 14. And Bruce gave me a tour. And that really confirmed for me that this was what I wanted to do. And I remember seeing all the computers and the graphics and all that. And Bruce and I had this conversation that night. And I tell this on school visits a lot. He asked if I liked math. And I said, no, math isn't my strongest area. I, I love science. I love geography. But I I don't love math. And he said, well, you're going to have some trouble then becoming a meteorologist because of the very intensive workload that would await if I wanted to be a meteorology major in college. So. That really changed my course of my my high school classes and getting through math because I really had to prepare myself for getting to do all that calculus that was awaiting me because I was pretty set at an early age that I was going to be a meteorology major in college. So again, I kind of had that knowledge early on. This is what I wanted to do. And I'm really lucky that I get to do it every day which is really fun.
0: I know and it's it's really awesome you had somebody to mentor you to kind of say, "Hey, look, you know, if this is really what you want to do, you got to you got to get better in math because otherwise you wouldn't have been prepared." And so What was next? What schools did you consider going to? Where did you end up going to? What's the education path?
2: My mom always jokes, too, that I was dragging my parents to go visit colleges when I was a freshman in high school. I mean, just getting to high school, and I'm already thinking about college. I remember us going up and touring Linden State, as it was called then, in Vermont, and Plymouth State, New Hampshire. Um, But I was really set on going to Cornell, partly because. I knew that another broadcast meteorologist in Boston, Mish Michaels, who was a huge inspiration to me. She was a fantastic role model for me during my high school years and college. Um, Mish went to Cornell, so I thought, I want to be just like her. I want to go there. And another meteorologist in Boston, Kevin Lemanowitz, had gone there. So I just was kind of drawn to, I don't know why, gray, cold upstate New York. For some reason, that's <laughs> where I thought I should go spend four years. And it's funny, now I live in Florida, and I've gone down to the University of Miami to do some stories from time to time. And I, I'll i go by that campus, and I'm thinking, my guidance counselor didn't tell me about this. <laughs> On the water, with palm trees— no, and for some reason my guidance counselor never pushed me to go to Wisconsin, which was where Bruce Schweigler went. I remember visiting there a few years ago with my brother because he lives in Wisconsin. I thought, "Man, this would have been so fun to go here. And I know a lot of people who had great success there." But I was very set on going to become a meteorology major in college, so I had to really beef up my math in high school. Initially, I was in this like pilot program for high school math which it was, it came from California. It was all group work and no textbooks. And while that was, you know, to a student, like, oh, that sounds easy. It wasn't preparing me. So my guidance counselor at the time pulled me out of that. And I ended up going to take pre-calculus at UMass Boston so that I could be getting those credits early and just preparing myself for, for college math. So long story short... I applied to a bunch of schools, and I always say that Cornell didn't reject me, but they offered me a guaranteed transfer. And my course of you know, academia and college was that go someplace else, get a 3.0, take these classes, and you can integrate in as a junior to the meteorology program at Cornell or atmospheric science program. So I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. They didn't reject me. I'm going to go someplace else first, and then I'll transfer in. So with my parents, no, we wait out. Should I go to UMass, something close, in-state tuition or even community college? But I was drawn to look at Ithaca College, which was across town from Cornell. I mean, they're within sight of one another. A neighbor that went to Ithaca, some of my other friends from Arlington were going to Ithaca, and we had already been up there and toured not only Cornell, but Syracuse as well. You know, that's a long drive up there, six hours, (laughs) depending on the weather. So I remember dragging my mom once again, going up to, to Ithaca to look at it. And I loved it. It's just that feeling when you know, you know. And Ithaca had a great communications program. And I thought, I can do my broadcast stuff here. And then they have this consortium where you can take classes at Cornell if you're an Ithaca student and vice versa. So I was able to start taking my meteorology classes while I was fully matriculated at Ithaca and then once I got over to Cornell as a junior, I would integrate in just fine and then I had the option to still take communications classes at Ithaca if I wanted to. It really was the best decision I could have made because while I did transfer into Cornell as a junior, I never had to leave my friends because right everyone, everyone
0: kind of knew each other because the schools were so close.
2: Right, right. It was, it was the best of both worlds. So that was kind of my, my career path in in academia. But I know not everyone has that knowledge early on that that's what they want to do. So being a transfer student, you know, you still get all those same opportunities and you can still catch up really easily as if you get those core classes done in your earlier two years.
1: So, what other opportunities did you pursue, both inside academia and um, maybe extracurricular outside, um, that you knew would be beneficial to help securing a role in in the profession?
2: So since I knew i I wanted to go into broadcast because there's so many things you can do with meteorology, but I was just so focused on that, I knew I had to get a TV internship. so I turned to the stations in Boston and I ended up going to Fox 25, which is where the chief, Kevin Lamanis, went to Cornell. And the weekend meteorologist at the time, Kim Martucci, also went to Cornell. So it was great to have those alumni connections. So I interned at Fox 25. I mean, I look back on my demo tapes from that summer and I don't know how they thought that I would have a future (laughs) in this career. I mean, I was terrible. But I loved the experience. I just loved being around everything. Kind of like when I went on that tour with Bruce Schweigler, I just knew this was what I wanted to do. And I remember watching them make graphics and learning how to make graphics and learning how to build a show. And I got to go on remote with them sometimes to to some live shots and, and participate in some other fun stuff that was done at the station um, so that was really important because that solidified what I wanted to do. Now, the following summer, I had another internship, but I decided to go a little bit of a different route, and I I interned at the USA Today in Washington, D.C., and that was still journalism and communications, but in a different form, and that was a great experience because I got to really experience Washington, D.C. lifestyle, you know, living for a summer. Everyone there is an intern. It it was really fun, and I loved the work in terms of being part of, I mean, it was 2001, so the internet was still in its infancy, and it was a really exciting time to be at a, a growing company like that or a growing platform, and I got to make graphics that were seen in a national newspaper. I got to Work on a lot for usatoday.com, the, the weather section. And that was also an opportunity where I learned I don't want to sit in a cubicle all day. And that's what I always tell students, too. Internships are an opportunity to test something out, to sample something with a, a short-term commitment. And I realized I would be much happier in a TV studio than in a cubicle where, you know, people email if they're going to go to lunch. You know, no one talks. Everyone has headphones on. Um, so that was an experience that made me think, no, this further confirms that I wanted to go a path into meteorology. So those were some of my things in addition to my my courses. Because you really don't learn in an atmospheric science program how to be on TV. You know, that stuff comes outside of the classroom. I know there are some programs, and Linden State always, they have a lot of broadcast-focused classes. And there are some things that you do learn, but it's really on the job that you get that experience, you get that exposure. Um, And also, in school, I, you know, I did some extracurriculars early on. Um, I I did crew for a little while, ski team, um, and like Residence Hall Association. But once I got into Cornell, I really focused on meteorology and I got involved with the local chapter of the AMS, our student chapter. And that's a whole other you know, thing that launched me into networking and, and meeting people because I got involved in my local chapter, but then that also brought me opportunities on a broader scale once I started going to the annual meeting because I was a student assistant my junior year in college.
0: Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it's a great way. I mean, the local chapters are a great way to to really get immersed in it and find out what the other opportunities are. Um, so what was your first paid position in the field and how did you end up where you are now?
2: So the summer I graduated from college, Me and three of my girlfriends from home, we did a road trip across the country from Massachusetts to California and back, you know, national parks and all the landmarks. It was the summer after 9-11. So, you know, just exploring our country. And um, it was such a great opportunity also to see where I could be living because I knew that going into broadcast, I had to face the fact that I couldn't just move to New York or D.C., or Atlanta, or L.A., you know, to a big city like most of my other friends were doing. I knew that I was going to maybe be going to Topeka, or Bismarck, or, you know, someplace really small to get my experience. And I accepted it. I knew that that was the path I had to take. So while I'm traveling cross-country, I am stopping at, like, internet cafes. Again, this is back in (laughs) old days before smartphones and i'm looking at tvjobs.com and i remember telling my boyfriend at the time i would tell him all right send this off cuz he was like sending out my tapes for me and i remember when i was going through like, some of these postings i saw one for wabi in bangor maine and i thought oh that would be great cuz that's close to home so i'm applying to all these places thinking i could be anywhere and I ended up getting that first job in Bangor. I got home from cross-country, had an interview. Um, I was actually deciding between that and a job at Mount Washington. I had heard back from Mount Washington up at the top of the summit. In the observatory? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go figure. They've been in the news lately with, um, with some crazy weather. So I was applying to a lot of things knowing that it may take a while to get my first broadcast job. So that's why I applied to things like Mount Washington. I think I applied to the AMS. I think I applied to just any weather-related company in the Boston area. But yeah, so that was my course to get to WABI in Bangor. I did weekends there. And it was the best move I could have made because, you know, smaller market, you can iron out the kinks, make your mistakes, and a more forgiving audience. And I had such great support there from the staff because know everyone kind of the same way you're just starting out and it was a really positive environment but I knew I couldn't stay there forever so you know I made my tape there and moved on to the next I should say going back to the last question I also participated in the student run station at Ithaca College so that's what gave me my material to make a resume tape so I could apply to all these jobs and eventually apply to WABI I always credit Jim Morris, the news director at WABI, for hiring me because, I mean, that first tape is awful. I mean, thankfully, it's before YouTube. I'm sure it's not (laughs) that bad. I mean,
0: you say that now because now you have all this new technology and everything, but back then, yours was probably the same as all the other young people sending them in.
2: Yeah, it was was pretty bad, so... (laughs) I always thank him because he took a chance on me straight out of school. And I really appreciate having that opportunity. Um, and from there, I went to Syracuse. It was an opportunity to work Monday through Friday and get more repetitions, get more exposure and more experience with active weather. Because when you're a weekend meteorologist, you know, I would go five days unless I was filling in without doing anything on air. I did some other stuff at the station, I would do teleprompter and cameras. I I did some production stuff during the week, but it was a small station, small staff. So that's what I did at my first job.
0: You you basically got used to lots of snow and cold going from Bangor, Maine to Syracuse.
2: (laughs) I know. I know. As if those two places weren't cold enough or as if Bangor wasn't cold enough, I next went to Syracuse. But then my career path took me to warmer places.
0: Yeah. So after Syracuse, did you land the big job that you wanted in a, in a bigger city, or did it take a little bit longer?
2: It's it's funny how you gauge time as you get older. You know, I was in Bangor for over a year. I was in Syracuse for two years and 10 months. But I look at that Syracuse chapter, and, you know, so much happened, like, in terms of career growth and experience, just being on the air five days a week and working mornings that it seemed like I was there so much longer, but it was really just less than three years. From there, I went to Austin, Texas, and I got a job at what is now the Spectrum Station. It was Time Warner at the time. And another career crossroads, I was deciding between an opportunity in Manchester, New Hampshire, and at WMUR, and I'm driving back from Manchester to Syracuse, and I'm thinking, all right, this is gonna be my next job. I'm gonna be closer to home. It's gonna be great. And then I'm about... An hour from Syracuse on that drive on the New York State Thruway. And I see a number call from a 512 number. It was a news director in Austin. And he, him and I talked the whole rest of my drive for an hour. It was a great conversation. So I thought, you know what? Maybe this is a chance for me to at least go check this out. And this is a time also in my career where I started, where I signed on with an agent. So my agent was sending my material out. And that's how the, Austin application was completed or my material was submitted there, I thought, let me just go check it out. I went on my interview. And again, one of those things, when you know, you know, it was, I remember going to lunch with you know people from the weather team and management. And I was at this really cool restaurant. I mean, for anyone who's been to Austin, you know how fun it is. So having seen it for the first time, I thought, okay, I think this is where I need to be next. And it was a big move. It was far from home. I was always within driving distance of home up until then, but that was an opportunity to do severe weather and extreme heat and tropical weather. And from there, I went to Denver. And then after Denver, I came here to Orlando.
1: So could you walk us through, if there's such a thing as a typical day as a broadcast meteorologist, um, what that would be like? And also I'm curious to hear, about some of the different forecasting challenges that you've had being in these different areas in Bangor and Florida and Colorado. What are some of the challenges, the different regional challenges that exist there?
2: Yeah, I I think that the regional challenges, I'll answer that first. They are definitely part of the job. And I, I know that when you work in a market where there's snow potential, and now that you have the layer of social media on top of things, I mean, people hang on to those words, three to six inches, four to eight. Is school going to be closed? Do we have to shovel? Um, And that really started to wear on me because I always loved snow. I mean, loved snow days growing up. I'm a skier, love winter sports. I love just winter in general, but it really started wearing on me. So when I realized, you know, I could move to a warmer market and I could experience something else, that definitely sounded more appealing to me. I I say now I like to just go visit snow and enjoy (laughs) it. I just got back from a trip to Colorado and experienced a ton of snow. So it was so much fun to just be there and enjoy it and not have to stress about models and one run to the next because that'll wear on you. So there are regional challenges, but it also is an opportunity to learn different things i I do feel that I've had opportunities to become more well-rounded. I haven't just limited myself to one type of weather. I mean being in New England, I got to experience all four seasons, but I got to experience weather at different elevations in Colorado and in Texas, that was really my first opportunity for severe weather and and tornadoes. And now here in Florida, working mornings, it's always dealing with the afternoon thunderstorms and and tropical weather. So those regional differences are there, but it it helps sharpen your skills as a meteorologist to to become more well-rounded. So as for a typical day, and one thing I I do always say that I like about my job is that it's different every day because weather is different every day. I don't do the same thing day in, day out. But I do have to keep some sort of routine, especially for the hours that I keep. So, in broadcast meteorology, or many types of meteorology, shift work is real. Weather doesn't stop on holidays. Weather is 24-7, 365. So, being a morning meteorologist, I wake up really early. My first alarm goes off around one forty, and oh, ouch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and... I'm the type of person that doesn't like to just, you know, spring out of bed. So I want to wake up gradually and look at my phone, check email, that sort of thing. So um, then several other alarms go off and it's time to get up. I come to work at 3 a.m. during that time when I get here. I mean, first priority is coffee. But then after that, it is making my forecast. And usually, you know, I'm listening to music, drinking my coffee, going through computer models and writing up my forecast. And then turning that into my graphics that are shown on air. And from there, I need to make myself look presentable and get ready to be on air. Nobody's here to do my hair and makeup in this market at that time of day. So I'm doing it myself. And I just finalize getting ready. And I'm on the air starting at 5 a.m., We do a different format here compared to traditional network affiliates. We do weather on the ones, weather every 10 minutes, which I love. And it's what I did when I was in Austin, the same format. That's actually our sister station now. So I love that because I get to do so much weather. I get to talk about weather and help people plan their day and give them all that information they need before they leave the house because mornings are crazy. Um, But. During the show, it's it's pretty fast-paced, you know, with all these different hits. There's some other things we do in there, such as I record radio for the local NPR station, and I update our social media and our web discussion. And that's something, actually, I think back to USA Today, one of the skills I acquired there was, was writing and writing for weather journalism, if that's such a thing, and the way I write my discussions every day is the same way I was taught when I was at the USA Today. So it's a skill that that never really left. And, you know, you can pull things from each experience that are going to help you in the future. And there's definitely some things that never left me from, from that internship. But after the show's over, I end up, you know, either school visits or... Having any sort of public appearances, things that I do at the station, I also do some climate reporting. So maybe I'm working on my next piece or setting up some interviews. There's always something to do. And we're building graphics. We're going through a new graphics transition right now. So there's a lot to do. And then in the afternoon, while everyone else is working, I get to enjoy Florida sunshine and I get to enjoy the weather. And I love that opportunity to take a break and go for a run or go for a walk, be outside. But my day comes to an end earlier than most, (laughs) around five or six, and I have to get ready for bed.
0: But it's nice that you get the whole day. Yes. And you had mentioned previously about getting an agent. Is that
2: typical in, in broadcast meteorology? Do most people get agents? So I don't know what the percentage is. A lot of people do, but a lot of people don't, and that's totally okay. I'll be honest. I thought my career path early on was to get to Boston because that's home. And that's what I grew up watching. I thought I want to do that someday. Um, That has evolved and changed over time um, because just life experiences and the way things have worked out. But I got my agent when I was in Syracuse because I was so set in Boston. I thought I was told that news directors in the big markets say they like to deal with agents. And I thought, well, I need any help I can get. So you shop around, essentially, you look for agents. And sometimes you feel this connection or you feel, oh, no, that's not a good match. And I I felt a a really um, positive connection with the agency I went with, the NWT group, my one of my agents, Linda Levy, we, we still talk about, you know, that initial conversation, how we chatted for so long. Um, and they they helped me get to the, the places where I've gone to from there. You know, Linda has some past experience and connections in Austin and same with Denver and now here, Linda and my other agent, um, Carolyn. So they work as a team and it's been great. Um, but not everyone needs that. There are pros and cons. And if anyone ever has any questions about that, I'm happy to answer offline if someone wants to email. Um, because there, there's definitely a plus side to it. But you got to keep in mind, when you don't have an agent, you're not cutting that check. So right. you, know, you do have to invest in it. But it's good that it helped you.
0: Yes. So while you've been working, You also obtained a master's in emergency and crisis management from the University of Central Florida. What motivated you to pursue that degree?
2: So when I moved to Florida, I had a half of a master's degree that was incomplete and just me being type A by nature. I didn't like how it wasn't complete. I knew I had to finish it. I had started my master's when I lived in Austin and I was doing... Environmental water resource engineering. I think that was the name of it. Environmental engineering. And I wanted to do stuff with wind and solar. I had gotten into consulting and I thought that would be a good avenue, especially while I was living in Texas because solar is so prevalent there. But then, you know, my career path took me to Denver. And once I got to Denver, I'll be honest, I didn't want to do homework. I wanted to ski and hike and explore and drive my Jeep to all corners of Colorado. So, I put my studies on hold. And then, fast forward, my career path brought me to Florida. And I really got immersed in the preparedness culture here, um, hurricane preparedness, which is always important to me. But I had some interactions with emergency managers that made me think, you yeah, know, that's kind of a, a cool avenue. And there's so much weather that is involved in that discipline. And You know, my my dad has been a municipal worker his whole life. You know, I've moved around to all these different places. My dad's had the same employer since he was in eighth grade. So, (laughs) Um, but working for a municipality, I knew about public works and I knew that there was someone there who was interested in weather and doing emergency management or as it was called then, civil defense. So I, I knew that that was a discipline. And I thought those courses would be interesting because it wouldn't be as heavy on the math. At at this age, I wasn't dying to go do a master's in meteorology and do more math. Um, Maybe if I had done that straight out of school, that would have been a better transition, but it it had been so long. Um, I wanted to do something more societal impact of weather. So emergency management just seemed like a, a good fit for me. And I consider myself a lifelong learner. There's a huge university here in Orlando that I thought I want to be part of that. And it was just fortuitous. They had just launched a emergency management master's and I was part of the first graduating class.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So you've also been uh, teaching FEMA certified courses in things like hurricane awareness, tornado awareness, flooding hazards, uh, et cetera. So what would you say are some of the biggest challenges in Communicating that scientific information to non-scientists, right? These could be community, you know, first responders, uh, city and county officials, et cetera.
2: Yeah, and that—that's a great question because these courses that I teach are for people who make decisions in their jobs about weather. Think about DOT and school superintendents and elected officials, people who have to make decisions, especially here in Florida when it comes to evacuations and when it comes to business closures and things that have to happen when there is a storm threatening. Um, there is a challenge that you have so much to say. I mean, you could go on and on and on about these subjects, but you just have to give them the tools, the basics in a you know general eight-hour class so that they can go from, from there to you know, use that information in their jobs. But also there's a challenge that I wish more people would take these classes because there's so much information that could be beneficial to everyone in terms of decision-making when there's bad weather, when there's a hurricane approaching, a blizzard, because, you know, these courses that are available um, cover all different types of, of weather hazards. Because we see it all the time, you know, here in Florida with when a hurricane's here, and I've been through, through several at this point, there are still people that, that don't evacuate. There are still people that don't make good decisions, even in, in flooding. That's why Turn Around, Don't Drown exists. So if we could just educate more people to make better decisions, then that would keep more people safe.
0: For our student listeners or job seekers out there, what types of positions are available to meteorologists in the emergency management field?
2: So I think that that is really growing. And I know when I was in school, I had never even heard of emergency management as an academic discipline, I don't think. But now that major exists in a lot of places. If it's not a major, maybe it's a certificate or a minor um, because it really goes hand in hand with meteorology and, and hazardous weather. And if you think about it, there are you know towns and cities counties states regions all these jurisdictions have emergency managers and more companies are having emergency managers or type staff on on staff such as you know hospitals the theme parks they have emergency management for disney and universal Um, there are a lot of growing opportunities and they have their own conferences just as we do with the AMS and with the, you know, the weather, water, climate, enterprise. They have their own conferences too and there's opportunities for students to go and, and participate early on and network. And there's also a way to bridge those two disciplines with, you know, AMS has a board on emergency management and I know they're working a lot to kind of bridge between other disciplines so that more connections can be made, more networking can be done. And that's only going to help with the, the job outlook, I think, as people realize where these jobs are. And it is only seeming to grow because of, you know, increasing threatening weather, hazardous weather, extreme weather. There's more of a need for it as time goes on.
1: Well, we're so grateful for everything you've told us about your career. However, before you go, we always ask our guests one fun last question at the end of our show. And we would like to know, what is your favorite band?
2: That is an easy question to answer because it is Huey Lewis and the News. (laughs) Were you going to guess that? Well, (laughs) Well, we
0: we, we were talking about it and I was like, could it be Dave Matthews? And then Matt was like, I think it's Huey Lewis and the News.
2: I was adamant. Dave Dave is up there. Chicago, Fish, Grateful Dead. But I always credit Huey being my favorite band when I was a kid. You know, MTV. I did watch MTV, too. I didn't just watch the Weather Channel. But um, Huey was—that's when he was hitting it big— and my cousins used to babysit me. I have two cousins that I always give them credit. My cousin, Deb, taught me how to read. And my cousin, Donna, taught me about Huey Lewis because they were, like, in high school when I was really little. So Huey also went to Cornell. Really? Okay. I know that. He got a perfect 800 math oh score in his SATs, which I did not. <laughs> but Huey did not graduate he went on to pursue other interests and clearly made a name for himself that was my favorite band if you were to ask me that when i was 4 or 5 years old i would have told you Huey Lewis and it just never left me he's oh my still gosh. my favorite and his final album because he has hearing issues and he can't tour anymore his final album was called weather
0: oh wow wow what a coincidence <laughs> and it's really good give it a give it a listen i know and we were uh, we were Talking about Huey Lewis in the news, and we're wondering if you had ever seen the movie American Psycho. Yes,
2: I have seen that.
0: <laughs> with the very funny Huey Lewis in the news.
2: Uh, right. That's always a meme that shows up on it's so funny. social media.
0: <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us, Maureen, and sharing your work experiences with us.
2: Thank you for having me. This was really fun. If anyone, ever wants to reach out, I'm really easily accessible, social media, email. I'm happy to answer any questions about going into broadcasting, career choices, college choices, emergency management. I'm happy to help out because a lot of people help me along the way.
0: Right. And you are also a career advisor in our career advising portal, so they can reach you that
2: way as well. That's right. Thank you.
1: Well, that's our show for today. Please join us next time, rain or shine. Clear Skies Ahead. Conversations About Careers in Meteorology and Beyond is a podcast by the American Meteorological Society. Our show is edited by Peter Trebke. Technical direction is provided by Peter Killalay. Our theme music is composed and performed by Steve Savoy. And the show is hosted by Matt Mall and Kelly Savoy. You can learn more about the show online at www dot ametsoc.org forward slash clear skies and you can contact us at sky podcast at ametsoc.org if you have any feedback or would like to become a future guest